Amen. We can come today because he lives. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm excited as I am studying through the book of Romans and want to take you on this journey with me. If you would go ahead and take your Bibles and open them to Romans chapter 1. In reading through Romans and understanding what we're looking at uh, kind of reminded me of something that happened back in 1862. Not that any of you were around then. Well, maybe Terry. He said he was there. But on April, excuse me, on September the 22nd, 1862, President Abraham Lincoln signed and issued a proclamation. And many of us in here probably know that proclamation was called the Emancipation Proclamation. It took effect January the 1st of 1863, and it claimed that all enslaved people in the states currently engaged in rebellion against the Union shall be then, thenceforth, and forever free. Pulled that up off the website, off of history.com. It talks about that emancipation proclamation. And when we sit in here today, all of us would say that that was a great thing, that people were being enslaved and they no longer needed to be enslaved and that all men in the United States and women are declared to be equal and free. We all have a pursuit of happiness And that all sounds wonderful, but then we look sometimes in Scripture and it talks about people being slaves. Well, that's what we're going to work on just a little bit because there is a difference between the slavery that we know of in America and the slavery in the olden days. And when we understand that, I believe it'll bring the Bible to light on that. But what we're going to be looking at today is the book of of Romans. I want you to understand just a little bit of history about that as we get here. Paul was writing this in around 58 AD. He was ending a three-month stay in the town of Corinth on his third missionary journey, and he had been wanting to make his way to the church in Rome. He had traveled all around the known area there, Jerusalem and Corinth and Ephesus and all those. He wanted to make his way towards Spain, a part of the world that he had never been. And we're understanding that he's writing to a church there. Some of the letters he writes, he wrote to churches that he was being a part of and establishing. He didn't establish this church, but it is believed and can very well be assumed that... Many that started this church were in Jerusalem the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit come down and many of them, it talks about there were some from Rome and they saw the power of Holy Spirit and the men speaking in tongues and the mighty acts of God and they went back and they began this church at Rome and now Paul is wanting to go and he's wanting to visit with them and he's wanting to share the gospel with them. You know, there's times in my life when I don't necessarily like authority. I don't know if many of you, we've all probably been through there, especially working sometimes. You don't like those who are in authority. They mistreat you. They uh, abuse you. And they take advantage of you. 
But I want us to understand that the God that we serve doesn't do that. He is a wonderful and a gracious God. And today, I want us to look at slave to the Most High God. As we begin our study in the book of Romans, if you have turned to Romans chapter 1, if you would stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word, please. It says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he has promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray now back to you, Lord, from your word. In the book of Psalms, Lord, you give us that, that we can say, Lord, to open our eyes, that we may behold wonderful things from your word. And Lord, I pray right now, knowing that without the power of Holy Spirit, your word cannot be illuminated to us. Lord, would you do that now? And Father, would you help me and my flesh step aside and, Father, be nothing more this morning than a willing vessel, Lord, to be used by you. Would you speak through me your message for us today? And, Father God, I just pray everything in the precious and the most holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated. As we begin looking, we understand that Paul is writing a letter. Their letters are a little different than our letters. We would take today and pull out a piece of paper and a pen, and we would begin writing, Dear Whoever. Then we would write our letter, and at the end, we would put best wishes and regards and sign our name. But we're not writing in the day of Paul. They began with announcing who was writing the letter, and then ending it with who it was. So if we were to take this today, we might see the letter kind of like this. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called the saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we would read the letter and it would end with Paul, a bondservant. But in their day, they began with saying who's writing and would give a little bit of history about their self. And that's what I want us to look at today. The first thing I want to look at is how Paul describes himself. Now, we would think of Paul today, if you would probably agree with me, we would think of Paul of a strong man, a man of God, a man of great character, a man with strength, a man used by God to write a lot of our New Testament. But Paul sees himself in a little bit different light, maybe a little more humbly 
than we would. He begins by saying, Paul, a, a bondservant. Or if we actually look at that word bondservant, it's actually slave. Most of us sitting in this room, looking through the lens of our eyes today, would not see slave as a strong person. Our culture has formed us to think of slave in a negative light. Paul was not doing that. He was saying that he was a, a slave. And when we understand in their day, do you know that most people in Paul's day was a slave? In one area, one out of about five, and I think another about one out of six or seven would have been a slave. Each slave would have had his own area of responsibility, but do you know that each slave was equally owned and bought by someone else? There wasn't necessarily one slave that was better than the other slave. Each slave had their own place, and each one was bought with a price. But I like how the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary puts it this way. Most slaves were treated humanely and better off than many free persons. That's what we've got to wrap our heads around this morning. Is a slave in the day that this was being written was better off than the free person. Not what we think of today. And it also says a person could become a slave as a result of capture in war, default on a debt, inability to support, and voluntarily selling oneself. Inability to support and default on a debt. Do you know why, first of all, Paul was a slave? The same reason every believer in this room is a slave. Because we each had a debt that we could not pay. And our Lord God paid that debt through the death of his son. Now don't get negative in your mind. Slave, remember that. Slaves are better off. It was the responsibility of the slave owner to care for the slave. Well, if I'm a slave of the Most High God, I don't have any worries because my God is responsible for taking care of me. I am legally owned by someone else. The moment that I came and I allowed myself to be bought with the redemption blood of Jesus Christ, I became a slave, just as Paul was a slave, but he was a slave of Christ Jesus, not just of anyone but he also describes himself not just as a slave, but called himself an apostle. He's letting the Romans know, I am an apostle. He is one that has the authority to proclaim a message. He represents someone else. An apostle is one sent by someone else. But an apostle of Christ, there's something different that apostle, number one, was commissioned by God. And number two, an apostle had to have personally met and seen 
the resurrected Lord and Savior. The apostles that were there at the time of Jesus' resurrection became apostles, those men. And then later after he was there, Paul was on his way to where? Damascus. He was on a road to go and persecute God. When Jesus himself in a bright light resurrected, appeared to Paul and called him an apostle to be sent out by him, gave him authority to speak on his behalf. Taking that description, I'm just going to say this and move on. It's something for another time. There are no longer apostles among us today. There is no one today alive that has seen the resurrected Lord Jesus in person and called to be an apostle and to be sent by him. Now, we are, as believers, messengers and ambassadors of God. But Paul, describing himself as a slave of Christ Jesus, called an apostle, and then he says that he has set apart. Paul has become set apart. He's selected and assigned a specific purpose. His purpose is to declare the gospel. So Paul is been, has been bought by someone else. He belongs to someone else. His life is no longer his. It belongs to Christ Jesus who called him to be an apostle with authority set apart to share the gospel. So he's sending this letter ahead to the Roman church, those believers in Rome, to let them know, number one, here's who I am. Here's what my authority is. I want to come and I want to share with you. But, you know, Paul had this slave that he was. He was leaving from Corinth, where he was at. He was fixing to go to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he already had received word that they were basically waiting for him. His opposers were already stirring up trouble. I don't know about you, but Paul's a little bigger than I am because I would have found another way. But do you know why he was going to Jerusalem? Because he had offerings and money that had been given to him for him to take to the poor Christians in Jerusalem, to that church that needed help. So as a slave, he was no longer his own. He was on a mission for God. And he was to take that to Jerusalem. Now we might say, why would God want him to go to Jerusalem? And why would God want him to go into trouble there? Let me tell you, y'all have heard me say this before. You know, God is always working ahead, even when we don't see it. Paul has been trying to time after time after time to get over to Rome and to go share the gospel. He hadn't been able to do it. Well, now God's fixing to send him to Jerusalem. He's fixing to get arrested and persecuted and then taken by the authorities at their expense to Rome to be tried. Look, God's setting it up. He's fixing to take him right where God wants him to be, and it's not going to cost him a dime. He's going to go on somebody else's ticket. 
But Paul, we've got to understand, is a a slave, and he's the one writing. He's writing at the end of his third missionary journey, getting ready to leave Corinth, going to Jerusalem. But in these next few passages, we begin seeing where Paul describes the gospel. This church is what's important, the gospel. Do you know you can open up many dictionaries, you can Google the word gospel, and you're going to find many messages of what people say the gospel is. I'm sad to say that within our own denomination as Southern Baptists, there are different declarations of what the gospel is. And I will tell you today, I don't care what anyone says the gospel is other than what this book says the gospel is. Amen? And that's what we're going to look at. What is the gospel? We've got to understand uh, the gospel is the good news. The good news of what? The good news of Jesus Christ. Let's take away here. I want us to look as one person puts it. It says, in its native meaning, its eternally proper meaning It is the divine good tidings. It is the announcement of Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior of men, in whom God and men meet with joy. The gospel is the good news, the declaration of Jesus Christ, the only way that sinful man and God can come together and meet, and we can come together and we can meet joyously because God loves us. He sent his son to die on the cross. That's the good news. And do you know that when we look at the good news, it tells us in here as we look at the description of the gospel that it was promised beforehand. What does Paul mean when he's pinning it was promised beforehand? It was promised through the prophets, through those in the Old Testament that spoke on behalf of God, those that interpreted his message. Moses was a prophet. Abraham was a prophet. It tells us that we got this promise of the good news of Christ ahead of time, and it said it was done through Holy Scripture. Let me ask you this. Did Paul have this book just like we have it today? No. What was their holy scripture? There's the holy scripture. The Old Testament. And do you know that God promised beforehand that his son would come? From the dawning of an era when creation happened and Adam and Eve were created, from that very moment, God began proclaiming in advance that there was good news. His son was coming. Adam and Eve ate that apple and it separated them from God. And from that moment forward, God has been doing nothing but telling us of the good news. He was promising them that there's one coming that's going to save you from this. One that can reunite God and man. And that's the gospel from the very beginning of time. Through predictions, through words, through actions, God has been showing his love, the good news, to us. 
And Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He was the fulfillment of the gospel that came, that was being talked about. But also in describing the gospel, he talks about what the content of the gospel is. What is the center of the gospel? But it's Jesus Christ. Look there at verse 3. It says, concerning his son who was born of a descendant according to the flesh. His son, Jesus Christ, was God's son. Jesus Christ is God. He was God divine in the spirit form. But it's more than that. He came by the seed of David. What is he talking about? The flesh. Christ came clothed over his glory with flesh and became a human being. One person put it this way, literally the Greek may be rendered, he became or he came to be. Under either rendering, we have to wonderful face that he who is higher in his higher nature eternally is above time and included in it, dead in his other nature by the door of becoming intertime and thus indeed fill all things. Christ was before without time. He always has been. He always will be. But he come into time the moment he was born as a babe, like everyone else here, he became flesh and lived a perfect life. That's important to understand because it takes the blood of a living to cover the sacrifice of sin. Jesus could not have stayed spirit all of his life and paid the price for our sin. He had to, according to scripture, told beforehand would come and would be a ruler on earth. He was the son of God. Yet God of himself, God himself, also the son of God, the proclamation. There never was a time we see in these uh, verse four, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. There was never a time he was not God, but the time he spent on earth in the flesh. But then we see the power of the proof of him being the son of God through the resurrection. He was raised from the grave. He was the first fruit, as we'll call it, of the resurrection. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and he's there interceding for us today, and every other day he's there. The gospel But I find it interesting in reading this and studying it. If you look there uh, at verse 4, one more time it says, Who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead according to the Spirit of holiness. That would be the Holy Spirit, but the way they referred to him there. Listen to this. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Three names, very important. Jesus, his earthly name, his fleshly name, the name that his mother gave him out of obedience to God the Father. Christ, 
His divine name, the Holy One. And then Lord, that's his royalty and loyalty name. He deserves honor because he's Lord. We are loyal to him because he is Lord. This name connects us to him and him to us. That's how we can be slaves of the Most High God. But I also want us to see that Paul describes or Paul's description of the believer. Paul has talked about, okay, here's who I am. Here's who the gospel is. The gospel is Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news, the news that we should not want to hold back from anyone because for everyone, the gospel is good news. But then he wants to describe the believer. Beginning in verse 5, he does that, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. Through grace, Paul and the other apostles were allowed to become apostles to share the good news and the gospel. It helped them to become obedient of the faith. You know, the believer has to be obedient to the faith. And we talk about this all the time. I don't earn my salvation. No, you don't. But because of your salvation, you were owned by someone else. We are slaves of the Most High God, and we are to be obedient to that because through grace, he saved us from eternal damnation, eternal separation from God. If that's not bad enough, eternal separation from God, we, some people might say, so what? Okay, I don't care. Well, he saved me from the burning fire of hell too for all of eternity through his grace. He bought me and I am his slave. Through that grace, I am obedient. It gives me, because of his grace, the ability to serve him. You know, in my flesh, in your flesh, none of us have the ability to serve God. But because of his grace, his supply, his power, we have the power to serve him. He also describes the believer there when he says, for his name's sake. Do you know that each and every one who is a born-again believer professes Christ, we represent Christ, listen to this, in every thing we do let that sink in for a minute everywhere you are christ is there everywhere you go people are looking we are his ambassadors for his name's sake we represent the one who gave his life for us we represent jesus christ you know he didn't only give us our life he gave us his name we are what Christians. We carry the name of Christ anywhere and everywhere we go. I want to ask you, I'm going to give you just a moment before I move on. I want you to think really deep. Do you live your life as for his name's sake? That's what a believer does. True believer. Everything we do is for his name's sake. And then he tells us there at verse 6 that we are the called of Jesus Christ. 
It's important to understand what this called word means. It's not just an invitation. You know, I can call any of you up here on the phone and say, hey, I'm going to lunch. Do you want to go with me? You all have an invitation, but you're not considered the call until you receive that and you go. So we are the called of Jesus Christ. He's writing here to the believer. The believer is the one who has heard the invitation from God. They've heard the good news. They have become a believer and they're following him. You know, the gospel is foolish to some people, this good news. Let's look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 just real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews asked for a sign and Greeks searched for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews. A stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. God sent the gospel. He sent the good news to them. They thought it foolish. What was it there? The, the Jews, you know, they've, they've heard all about the Old Testament. But that was a stumbling block when you talk about Christ being the answer. The Gentiles thought it foolishness. You can think it foolish all you want. And you'll find out what foolish is one day soon enough when you don't have any other chance. Here's two more things that I, I really just warms my heart and it does yours. You know what a believer is? Look at verse 7. To all who are beloved of God. We're God's. We are his beloved. We are close to his heart. It's what a believer is. And then it, we're called saints. We're to be set apart and holy. You know, I, I think for the most part, we need to look at this life of who Paul was. He was a slave. He was set apart for the gospel. What are we today? Who are we? Listen to this quote by Charles Swindoll. It says, A life submitted to the Father requires both a genuine understanding of the gospel truth that results in an ever-growing obedience. Wow, Paul, seven verses. I mean, he can pack it in there, can't he? But that's what it, what is the gospel? It's the good news. What is a believer? Understanding the gospel truth and an ever-growing obedience to that truth. Church, whether you like the term or not, if you are a true believer, you are a slave. 
But remember what I told you when we started. Slaves were better off than the free people. Slaves were supplied everything for them that they needed. As believers, we're better off than the free people in the world. We don't have all the worldly problems that they do. We know where our eternity is. We know where our hope is. And we know that God is going to supply for us what we need to do to do his task. And we must, I want you to hear me closely, we must be ever-growing in our obedience to him because we willfully and freely chose to be a slave of his the moment we called on him for salvation, the moment we called on him to pay a debt that we could not pay, and because we could not take care of ourselves, we said, Lord, I'm yours. Here today, I want to ask you this question. Are you a slave? Are you a slave? Or have you walked an aisle, said some prayer because you didn't want to burn up in hell and take a public bath? Billy Graham says there are many, many sitting in churches today that fall under that description. But to be a true believer, we have to understand the good news, the gospel, surrender to that, and be ever growing in our obedience. God saved us for a purpose. A slave owner buys a slave for the purpose of working them, to carry on their mission. We have the responsibility to carry on the mission of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Where do you sit today? Where are you? You know, as we do this study of Romans, I want us to, to be ready. You see, he's writing to the church in Rome. He's writing to the believers. So if we're not ready, number one, if we're not believers, then the rest of this is going to mean nothing to us. But I believe also that if we are not ever growing in our obedience, we are living in sin and we're not going to be able to hear from Holy Spirit. Yeah, I said that. You know, sin is not just doing something you were told not to do. Sometimes sin is not doing. And we're told we're to be growing. Would you bow your heads this morning? Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, with all of the power that's in him, Father, would rest heavy in this room. Father, on each and every one, Lord, that's listening, Father, speak 
to us this morning. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want you to think for just a moment. Do you know, this isn't for me, but do you know without a shadow of a doubt, with no question, no qualm, no doubt, absolute 100% sure of your salvation this morning? If you can say, I have no questions, no doubts about it whatsoever, I know for a fact that if I were to die today, I would go to heaven, that the Lord is my Lord and Savior. Would you just slip your hand up a minute? Nobody's looking but God and me. Are you 100% sure? Thank you. You put your hands down. I'm going to ask you that if you were not able to raise your hand, my earnest plea is that you would see me before you leave today. I want to ask you one other question. Can you 100% say that you are ever growing in your obedience, that you were on a journey daily becoming more like Christ and doing what he's calling you to do. If God was to say, I need to speak to you and your hindrance of obedience to him in your life would block you from hearing him, would you be able to hear from him this morning. I'm going to give you just a moment. Just in the, the silence of the room, do you need to ask the Lord for forgiveness? You know, besides your salvation, that's one of the greatest things you can do. And you know he's not going to criticize you He's not going to pull you down. He's going to say, yes, I love you. You're forgiven. He's going to wrap his arms around you. But you know, when we go to him, we number one, confess. We agree with him that it's sin. And then we repent, means we turn from it. So this morning, if you need to confess and repent that your life has not been lived in total surrender to God. Now is the moment to confess that to him. I'm going to give you all just a, a few moments for those who may need to do that. I know I've had to spend some time on my knees this week. Father God, thank you for your love. Father, thank you for the assurance that 
Father, when the prayer you hear of lost people is a prayer calling on you to become their Lord and Savior, you hear that and you answer immediately. Father, I thank you that as believers, when we stumble, Lord, when we trip and fall, Father, when we just sometimes outright defy you, that, Father, you're there waiting. And, Lord, when we come to you and we confess and we repent, you're right there to wrap your arms around us. Father, I pray that you help us, Lord, now that we we know that Paul had authority from you to write the book of Romans. Father, that the book is all about the gospel and the believer in being obedient, Lord, now teach us what it is, this obedience to you. Father, as you teach us who you are, Father, as you continue to reveal yourself through your written word to us, Father, help us to grasp you. Father, may we become stronger in you as you speak to us through your word. Father God, I just pray everything in the precious, most holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen.